We're going to look at a few verses of scripture here. Uh, Romans 11, 33 through 36. It's one of the mountaintop passages of scripture uh, in all the Bible. So let me read uh, these four verses. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. Uh, thank you that uh, when he was there on the cross, he echoed that victory cry, Tetelestai, it is finished. The sin payment has been made. And when we put our faith in Jesus and him alone, Lord, we uh, receive forgiveness of sin. There's no more condemnation. It puts us into the family of God. And we can have this wonderful relationship with you. And so thank you for the, the victory that's been won. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look into your word in this next uh, few minutes that... Um, you would open up our hearts to what you have for us today. And as uh, we listen to your truth, Lord, may we, uh, like Samuel, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. May we leave here encouraged to know that no matter how bad the circumstances of our world gets, our country gets, our own personal situation, Lord, that you are a God that is in control. And so we thank you for that. Thank you that we can rest in that. And we give you praise for our victory in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you would like to see the sunshine today? <laughs> it's been a while. Alan was telling me before the service over in Grand Rapids where some of his family live and some of our family live. They've had five minutes of sunshine this year. So um, I think we're probably close to that. And uh, the other day the um, sun came out and Diane said, let's take a picture of it. You know, So uh, it's coming. It's coming. So, well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a book that uh, I I know we've looked at in the past, but it's a book that's got timeless truths, um, even though it was written 2,600 years ago. And it's a little book in the Old Testament uh, with a kind of hard to pronounce. It's the book of Habakkuk. And so if you have your Bibles, and I'm going to help you here, you can try to find Habakkuk, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. If you have a Bible like mine, it's on page 1,211. It's the NIV Bible. But uh, uh, I was going to wait till everybody finds it, but we might be waiting a while. So uh, it's hard to find those little, little books in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at this minor prophet with a major message and... It's a message uh, that we can relate to today because Habakkuk had some complaints. He had some complaints against God. He had some questions that he wanted to ask God. He had many questions, and I think they're some of the same questions that perhaps are on our minds today. Questions like, God, I've prayed and prayed and prayed about this circumstance and this problem but it seems to me, God, like you're not listening. It seems like my prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. Or a question like Habakkuk asks, where is justice in the world today? Where is justice when 
proud, arrogant people oppress others, which is happening all over the globe today. What about justice, God? Or questions like, God, how long until you intervene and do something about what's going on either in the world today or our country today or maybe your own personal um, circumstances and situations? Those are questions that Habakkuk asked. And if we're honest, we ask some of those questions. And so we're going to look at this little book of Habakkuk. Let me give you the historical context. Remember the structure of the Old Testament. We've shared this in the past. Here's some numbers for you. 512, 5512. That's the structure of the Old Testament. Five books of the Pentateuch. Twelve books of history, the history of Israel. Five books of poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Five major prophets. Major because they're longer books. Ezekiel and Daniel. And then 12 minor prophets called minor because the books are very short, like Habakkuk. Three chapters. I think there's like 56 verses in the whole book. So that's the, the structure of where Habakkuk fits in the Old Testament. And it's a unique book because it records a dialogue, a dialogue between one man and God. And so it's unique in, in that way. And so Habakkuk starts with some questions. In chapter 1, God answers them. But now Habakkuk has even more questions. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, God answers Habakkuk. And in chapter 3, then, Habakkuk speaks back to God. That's uh, the, the structure of the book. So let's turn our clocks back, our timeline back. 2,600 years. Remember the nation of Israel that God wanted to be their king, and they looked around, and they said, we want to be like all the other nations. Lord, give us a king. And so God said, okay, I'm going to give you a king, but uh, there's going to be uh, maybe some issues with the king someday. And so King Saul was the first king of Israel, and then there was King David, and then there was Solomon. There was a united kingdom. But in the year 930 B.C., that kingdom split like a civil war, Ten tribes to the north called the northern kingdom. Two tribes to the south called the southern kingdom or Judah. And they each had separate kings. And so in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians and basically um, uh, almost wiped out and taken captive. That was because in all of the kings of the northern kingdom, they did not have one good king. And the message of the prophets was, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God, and they didn't. And the message was, if you don't turn back, judgment's coming. And guess what? Judgment came. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah, those two tribes, lasted about 150 years longer because they had a few good kings. And so the judgment was 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 postponed. Good kings like Josiah. You remember the, the story of Josiah? He was the young boy king. Josiah was the king of uh, of Judah. He he became king at the age of eight years old. Now I can't imagine that. I have a grandson that's eight. I can't imagine an eight year old king. I'm sure God put some advisors around him. 
But Josiah was one of the good kings, one of the few good kings in Judah. And he made all sorts of reforms, and the nation was turning back to God. But then Josiah died at the age of 39. And another king came, and this king Jehoiakim was one of the kings that was part of the the evil kings. And, And Judah fell right back into idolatry and immorality and into moral decline. And that's where we find Habakkuk, written about 608 B.C. And he's looking at the nation and the moral decline, and he has some questions for God. He's very, very troubled. And so uh, let's look at it. First of all, in our outline, Habakkuk's questions. There's four of them in the first few verses. Uh, let me read, uh, read them. Habakkuk 1.1, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Here's his first question. How long must I call for help, but you do not listen? How long, God, do I have to pray and ask for something, but you're not listening? It doesn't seem like you're, you're hearing me. It's a pretty bold question to ask. The psalmist asked that same question about 400 years earlier in Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And he asked that question four times as he looked at the world around him. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Lord, how long am I going to have to say and cry out to you? And it seems like I don't have an answer. He asks the second question. It's found in the last part of verse 2. How long do I cry out to you? Violence, but you do not save. So he's looking around at Judah and he's seeing all the, the corruption and the violence. Kind of what's going on in our culture today. Do you know how many mass shootings have been in the United States this year? I don't, but it's way too many. On Friday, a first grader walks into a school in Virginia and shoots his first grade teacher. How long is this violence going to go on, God? And it seems like you're not doing anything. And Habakkuk's very frustrated. And he asks more questions. Why do you make me look at injustice? There's, there's, there's injustice in our world, and it seems like, you know, this is Psalm 73, Lord, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous seem to be struggling? That doesn't seem right. You know, people who don't live for God, their life is easy, they're on easy street, I'm trying to live for you, and I'm struggling. Where is justice, God? And Habakkuk is struggling with that. Fourth question, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And so Habakkuk's question is basically summarizing those. God, when are you going to do something? How long do I have to wait until I see you uh, intervene in life's and the world's 
circumstances. Well, God answers Habakkuk, and that's uh, the next part of the book. Habakkuk's question, why do you allow iniquity or sin to continue among your people? And God says, uh, here we go, Habakkuk. Here's my answer, and it's found in verse 5 through 11. Let's look at it. The Lord's answer, look at the nations and watch, and you will be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you are told. So God tells Habakkuk, uh, look around, look at the nations. I'm going to do something amazing that you won't even believe if someone told you. And I imagine in Habakkuk's mind, he must be thinking, God's going to send another righteous, good king to Judah and we're going to have revival, and I've been praying Second Chronicles 7.14, and the whole nation is going to turn back to you. That's, that's the news, right, God? No, that wasn't the news. Look at it in verse, beginning in verse 6, and I'm just going to read 6 through 11 here quickly. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own, They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like the sand. They mock kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. This was unbelievable for for Habakkuk to to listen to what God said. Here's my answer. I'm going to judge God's people. And the people that are going to judge them are the Babylonians. Those wicked, violent, arrogant, godless people I'm going to use to judge God's people. And all of a sudden, Habakkuk's like a timeout here, God. How can you use a more wicked people, because the Babylonians are ten times more wicked than, than Judah, to judge Judah? That's, that's the question that, that, that Habakkuk has. Uh, I'm going to judge God's people with the Babylonians. You know, it, it would, it would be the same as in our country and culture today, and we're, you know, praying that America will turn back to God, and God's answer is, uh, well, I'm going to uh, bring judgment on America, and I'm going to use uh, North Korea to do it. And you're like, Wait a second, God. That, that doesn't make any sense. And so this is what uh, Habakkuk is is struggling with when God tells him, "Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna finally act. I'm gonna ans- answer your prayer, but it's gonna be the the Babylonians." And now Habakkuk has even more questions. And so let me read the rest of the chapter. And uh, this is Habakkuk's reply, and it's from the New Living Translation. Um, uh, of the Bible, 
verses 12 through 17, the rest of the chapter. Here's what Habakkuk, how he answers God. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? And so here we have this huge dilemma building in chapter in chapter 1. Habakkuk says, how long are you going to let sin go on in God's people? How long, Lord? And finally God answers and says, well, pretty soon they're going to be judged. I'm going to use the Babylonians. And they came in in 586 B.C. as they were the rising world power. And this is where the book of Daniel comes in and, and some of the Old Testament uh uh, books where they, they took the young people, the Hebrew young people captive, including Daniel and his friends. And the Babylonians then uh, conquered and destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, God does answer Habakkuk's second question. How can you use more wicked people to judge God's people? And that's in chapter 2, and we're going to look at that next week. But in the last uh, 10 minutes or so here this morning, I want us to look at some life lessons, uh, three or four life lessons from Habakkuk chapter 1. Because I really think we have some of these same questions that are going on in our mind as we look at uh, specifically where America is today. And what's going on with the moral and spiritual decline in our country? And um, if we're honest, uh, those questions, whether we voice them or not, are probably in our minds. So uh, let's just look at some life lessons from Habakkuk chapter 1. <coughs> and here's the first one. That God can handle the difficult questions of life. And by that I mean your difficult questions. The, the issues that you're struggling with, whether it's in our culture today as the United States of America or whether it's in your own basic extended family unit, God can handle those frustrated questions. You know, there are some teachings that say it's, it's, it's wrong to question God. You should never question God. Well, Jesus did on the cross, if you remember. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's okay to, to ask those heart-stirring questions that, that we, we struggle with. And if you're transparent and honest, we all have them. In fact, if we had time, we could all, we could all share from our own family you know, someday I'd like to ask God, why? Why this happen? 
For me, it was when I was in high school, the first time I, I wrestled with this, and I've told this story before. <clears throat> Here I am, um, junior in high school. My dad's uh, pastoring a church in, uh, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. My mom was the uh, classic um, kind of picture-perfect pastor's wife, and she played the piano and just uh, very, very involved in the church. And then uh, there is a cancer diagnosis. And I remember that going through that in high school, and there's surgeries and treatments and <clears throat> hopes get up and uh, getting, getting better. And then uh, three steps forward, sometimes two steps back. In college, I was way at college, and I remember getting reports, so, okay, things aren't going very well now, and uh started out with breast cancer, then it went to her lungs, then it went to brain cancer, and uh, finally, um, Di and I were newly married, we were in seminary, and the year was 19, let me think here, 1981. And my mom, whose only sister had died of cancer at 48, pastor's wife, died at 50. When I was in college, I, I had a little side job, and I was working at a convenience store. And here I am wrestling with the fact that my mom is dying of cancer, and um, the guy that worked at the cash register was in his late 70s, Smoked like a chimney, cursed like a sailor, and was in great health, to my knowledge. And I remember, you know, struggling with this, like, okay, God, let's, like, oh, this doesn't make sense to me. Oh, you know, why, why is my mom and not somebody like this fellow who doesn't care about you and doesn't, doesn't care about his body? I remember asking and wrestling with those questions, and some of you have been through that as well. Why, God? I don't know if we have any good answers other than um, ultimately God is God and we are not. We need to remember that. Um, the verses in Isaiah chapter 55 uh, remind us of uh, some truths about God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 we read, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, God says, my ways and my thoughts are, are beyond your thinking. And by the way, if we could figure out and understand everything about God, he would not be God if we could understand him. That's why we read that passage in Romans chapter 11. Who can understand the mind of God? Has God ever contacted you and said, hey, I need some counsel here? No. God is omniscient. God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. That's one of the reasons we struggle with these things, because we only see one slice of life at a time. God sees the entire picture, the beginning from the end. And, and so don't be afraid to pour your heart out to God. After all, he already knows our thoughts. And to wrestle with these questions and to cry out to him. Will we get answers? 
sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I really think, and I'm basing this on a verse in First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, uh, and this is my speculation, that someday we will fully see God's plan and we will fully understand. First Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only as a reflection, as in a mirror. Then, he's talking about heaven. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. Someday I'm going to know fully. And so perhaps someday we'll get the answers. Uh, to those questions that we struggle with. Well, life lesson number two, God can handle your difficult questions. Don't be afraid to, to pour your heart out to God. The second uh, lesson is this, God uses both good and evil to bring about his plan and purpose. God uses both good and evil to accomplish his plan and his purposes. It was Martin Luther that said, even the devil is God's devil. We see this all through scripture, don't we? That God uses evil sometimes to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Think of the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph and he had uh, those 11 brothers and he was dad's favorite and uh, everybody else is working out in the fields, working hard and Joseph has a life of ease, and he's got this favored coat, and his brothers hated him. And they plotted to, to kill him, and they leave him in a, in a pit, and they come back and tell his father Jacob, yeah, uh, he got killed by a wild animal, here's his coat, here's the blood, your son's dead. And remember the story that uh, in God's providence and sovereignty, uh, Joseph ends up in a caravan and ends up as a slave to Egypt. And you know the story. He eventually is promoted to like the number two position in Egypt. And at the end of the book, his brothers, and now there's a famine in Israel. And because of Joseph's wise thinking, Egypt has the resources to basically feed the rest of the world. And so Jacob and his, his uh, family of 70 go down to Egypt and Joseph faces his brothers and they find out the truth. And he says to them, you intended it for evil, but God used it for good. God used your sinful, evil actions for his all overarching plan and his glory, but you intended it for evil. That's uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost in uh, Acts chapter 2, and Peter's in Jerusalem on the Pentecost day, and he, he hears this um, uh, not very well-educated Galilean fisherman, and he stands up in front of thousands of people, and he gives this great, great sermon, and he doesn't pull any punches. This is what he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This is, you wicked people killed Jesus, the Son of God. 
was all part of God's plan. God planned this out before the, the beginning of the world that, that wicked people would put Jesus to death. Why? So that we could have a victory in Jesus. And so God uses both good and evil to accomplish his purposes. Again, there's verses all through, all through scripture that speak to that. Uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Um, Lamentations 3, 37 and 38. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? In other words, nothing can happen to us without God's sovereign permission. Nothing. Jesus said that the sparrow doesn't fall from the, from the sky except that I, I know about it. The very hairs of your head are numbered. And so, so God is in control. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Ecclesiastes 7.14, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, writes, God controls both the good and the bad God has not looked the other way or been caught by surprise when adversity strikes us. He is in control of that diversity, directing it to his glory and our good. That's encouraging. It means that even in the midst of trials, pain, heartache, we can trust him because he knows and he's in control. Well, there's a third and last life lesson from Habakkuk chapter 1. Not only can God handle the the gut-wrenching questions that we have about life, not only does he use good and evil to bring about his plan and purpose, but here's the third one. Don't mistake God's silence for inactivity. Don't mistake God's silence for inactivity because God is at work even when it seems like he's not. So this was Habakkuk, and he's like saying, God, why aren't you doing something? God, why does it seem like you don't hear me? And let me assure you, in those times when we feel like that, when we feel like God's not listening or God's not responding, God is aware, and God is at work. There's all, that's all through some Old Testament um, books in the Bible, the story of Esther. I'll remember that that story, and... The whole thing turns on the fact that King Artaxerxes is having a sleepless night, and and he says, "Hey, bring bring uh, bring the scrolls and do some do some reading." And and then <clears throat> he finds out about uh, uh, an incident that happened that he needs to, to rectify and recognize this person. And all of a sudden, God steps in, and the Jewish people who were headed for destruction are now saved because Queen Esther speaks and says, um, I'm here for such a time as this. And so even when it seems like God is silent or not doing something, God is at work. Do you know how many years there were between the end of the Old Testament when the last prophet came and John the Baptist? 400 years. They're called the 400 silent years. And, and Israel is waiting and wondering when is God going to do something? And all of a sudden, John the Baptist is born, and he begins to announce, prepare the way 
for the Messiah. And God was at work that whole time behind the scenes, preparing for the arrival of the Messiah. And so the prophet Isaiah reminds us that God is at work even when he seems silent. So here's what Isaiah writes. Why do you complain, Jacob or Ron? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. He doesn't know what's happening. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but here's where we need to land. But those who hope in God, those who hope in the Lord, it's not that wishful thinking hope. It's like, God... It's it's me and you, and I don't have a backup plan. My trust is in you. Those who put that hope in God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And when it seems like God is silent, God is sustaining us, God is strengthening us, God is working out his plan that will eventually come to fruition and be for his glory. And so I'll just give you a little clue. Next week, chapter 2, God says, uh, by the way, I'm going to judge the Babylonians. <laughs> you guys are first, they're next. And and here's the thing, as we, as we wait on God, that that didn't happen for another 70 years. <clears throat> So Habakkuk had to wait 70 years to see God judge the Babylonians, but he brought the Medo-Persian Empire, and, and that brought down the Babylonian Empire. And so um, God was at work, and God has a plan, and he will use everything in our lives for our spiritual good and his glory. And therefore, we can trust him, even in life's challenging circumstances. Even when we look at our nation and it seems like morally and spiritually we're going down the tubes, God is in control. Lord, if we're honest this morning, some of us have some uh, hard questions for you. Lord, help us not to be afraid to... uh, Verbalize those questions in prayer or, or, or talk to others about them. And Lord, um, we thank you that in the midst of uh, pain, in the midst of a fallen world, we look around and we say, why and how long? Lord, thank you that our hope and trust is in you. So would you encourage us with that truth this morning? Would you remind us that nothing bad or evil can touch us without your divine permission and that you use even evil and difficulty for your glory and for your good. And Lord, remind us that all of us are on a journey, that this world is not our home. We're passing through. And someday we're going to be in your very, uh, your very presence, 
worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May that um, encourage our hearts. Lord, forgive us for being so arrogant that we think that we need to understand everything about you. Lord, you are God and we are not. And we bow the knee and trust you, even in the midst of pain. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.